Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Again, if you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And while you're on your way there, just before Christmas, uh, Jet and I visited some of our homebound members, and we went to visit these special friends and to, del- and to uh, deliver to them a, a special gift, uh, a Christmas gift from our Prime Timers uh, Senior Adult Ministry. And Jet and I went and saw lots of folks over specifically at Westminster, and we went by to see uh, Miss Helen Thomas, and many of you know who Miss Thomas is. She's a, a foundational member of our church, wife to John Thomas, uh, who we have uh, an offering named for uh, here in our church that serves local missions. And as Jet and I sat and talked with Miss Thomas, uh, she asked if I could do her a favor. And uh, naturally, when Miss Helen asks you to do something, you just say, okay, yes, of course, how can I help? And she asked me if I wouldn't mind reading a portion of Scripture just off the top of my mind. Uh, she wanted to have a, a Scripture read to her about heaven. She wanted to hear about heaven. And so God immediately brought to my mind Revelation 21. thought I'd read it for you this morning. Same passage I read to her, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is the best part. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have now passed away. And as I read that verse to her, I asked her why she wanted me to read a a portion of Scripture about heaven, and she told me, that she was just excited about going there one day, excited about going to heaven. Friends, as I reflect back on that interaction with Miss Thomas, I have done more funerals here as the pastor of Eastern Shore Baptist Church than I care to remember. I've laid to rest so many giants of the faith that have attended Eastern Shore Baptist Church, men and women who deeply love God and who serve the church. And while all those services that I have preached right here in this room behind this pulpit, while all those services were sad, there was also an aspect of joyfulness for I would dare say 99.9% of them because I know that heaven is for real. A funeral service, while sad, can also be extraordinarily joyful because I know that heaven is for real. I also know that those who claim Christ on this physical side of life, that even though their physical bodies may have given up their souls, I know that today they're more alive now 
deceased in this existence, but alive in the other existence. They're more alive there than they are today. Whenever I do a a funeral service, especially for a believer, I always try to highlight heaven. I always try to highlight heaven. Heaven is a place where Jesus is. And that's enough, by the way. If that's all that heaven was, that would be enough. But heaven is a place where Jesus is. It's a place where worship is forever, where life is everlasting. The cares of the world that we have here now are not the cares of heaven. And the things that we value here and now are not valued in heaven. How many of you have on a a gold wedding band? Uh, Maybe a gold watch, some gold earrings, if you will. Well, in heaven, the things that we value here is pavement in heaven. (laughs) They're streets of gold after all. So heaven is a, an exceptional place. There's an old song that says, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. You ever heard that song? Everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but they seem to want to get there on their own dime, on their own merit, and on their own rules. And that's a good thought. That's a good thought, but it's not a very biblical thought. In this passage that we're about to read, Jesus points his followers to a very key truth, a central truth, that there's only one way to heaven, and sadly, sadly, many people don't find it. And what makes matters worse is there are people who think they've found it only to realize when it's too late that they're actually not in the family. This morning, I I want you to fill in this blank for me, if you don't mind, heaven is a place of hope and it's a place of healing. And friends, Jesus doesn't want you to miss it. Jesus doesn't want any of us to miss it. As a matter of fact, Jesus has made it quite easy for us to find it. And yet, Scripture tells us, and I think in our hearts we know this to be true, that there will be many people who are sadly denied access Because they're trying to get to heaven through any other way than the way Jesus actually has created for us to be there. So this morning, to give you a little bit of a background and context, Jesus is continuing his march to Jerusalem. He's teaching and preaching along the way. He he wants every village and every villager to hear the good news of the gospel. And along the way, someone asks a very important question. We don't know who the someone is, but he asks a very important questions about those who would be eventually saved. Would there be only a few saved or would there be many that are saved? And Jesus stops along the way, and he begins again to talk about the kingdom of God and who will be there, and also about the reaction of those who think that they're in but are actually not in the kingdom of God. They feel like they deserve access, but they are denied access at the door. They are refused. And to be honest with you, this section of Scripture is a bit nerve-wracking. It's even a bit nerve-wracking for me as a preacher to preach because it is a hard selection of Scripture. Jesus clearly states that there will be many who believe that they have the kingdom and the key but are sadly left out in the streets. They thought they were invited to the party only to discover that they are actually uninvited guests. And so this morning, let's take a moment and read about Luke 13, 
22 through 30. And remember, Jesus wants us in heaven. All right, so verse 22. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying through toward, excuse me, Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be but a few? And he said to them, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. And then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all of you workers of evil. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And the people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. So this morning I want to give you some key truths about entering heaven And the first one is this, there is an entry to heaven and it is exclusive in nature. There is an entry into heaven and it is exclusive in nature. Again, going back to verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek it and yet few will be able. A few years ago, my family and I visited the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. Uh, It was maybe three or four years back, and it was a really exceptional event. It was a wonderful presentation of the reality of Noah's Ark and how Noah's Ark could have actually worked. So I do have a question for you this morning. How many doors are on Noah's Ark? One door. There's one door in Noah's Ark. There was only one way onto that great big old boat. God instructed Noah to build the ark, and yet he provided only one way for his family to receive salvation. And of course, we know that Noah's ark mimics the salvation experience that God has provided through, for us through Jesus, this one door. And yet if you read closely, by the way, that's the door. Go back one, one click. That's the door. That's it. That's the door to the ark, right there. There is no other access point to the ark except through that door. And if you read closely verses 23 and 24, I think that you see humanity on full display. Someone from the crowd shouts, Lord, will those who are saved be only a few? And it's a good question. Chances are, at least in my imagination, I think this guy that asked this question or woman, whoever, is maybe a bit of a gambler. They're playing the odds, if you will. They're playing the odds. He, he comes back and says, if there's only a few that will be saved, like Noah and his family, then he better get his act together. Because Noah was found righteous in the eyes of God, and so if only the righteous are going to get saved, well, and if there's only a few, then I need to be one of the few that are actually righteous. But if there's going to be a bunch of folks saved, I don't have to be nearly as righteous. I don't have to be nearly as good. Really, I only have to be better than my neighbor. I only have to be better than that guy. And as long as I'm better than that guy, I'm going to be okay. No problem. It's sort of that 
that story, if you're being chased by a bear, you've heard that, right? I'm being chased by a bear. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your partner. That's all that has to be done. Well, that's what this person is actually saying. Lord, how righteous do I really have to be to enter the kingdom of heaven? Do I have to be almost perfect like a Pharisee or do I just have to be better than that guy? And so Jesus does what Jesus does. He hears a question and he doesn't answer that question, but he answers a a question that wasn't even asked. Which is really interesting because we think we have the question and yet Jesus knows what we really need to know. And he speaks truth to our heart. He knows, uh, he knows more than what we know about ourselves. He knew that this man needed more than just the odds of making it to heaven. Jesus was not interested in guessing uh, the over-under, if you will, of those that are entering into heaven. He pointed this man directly to salvation. He answers that heaven is for real and that it can be discovered. The way the path to heaven is not hidden, by the way, the door of the ark was not hidden either. Some have said that Christianity is too exclusive. Some people are turned off by the exclusivity of Christianity. How can it be that there's only one way to enter heaven? How can it be that Muslims won't go to heaven? They're very devout people. Why can't Mormons go to heaven? Who am I to say the Hindu won't inherit the kingdom of God? Friends, this is the truth. I would say that God has made it so easy. He's made it so easy. He's taken out all the guesswork. All the questions are gone. It's like having all the answers to the test before the test is even given. Secondly, I never, I never said that heaven is exclusive. I never said that. God said that. The Bible says that. And so if if people have problems with the exclusivity of heaven, don't take it up with the flawed messenger. Take it straight to the top. Go to his word. Have issues with it. And let me say here and now that there's only one way to heaven. That way, just like the door on the ark is laid out to everyone to come through, Jesus is the way. He is the key. Without Jesus, we're completely lost. The Pharisees were going to come to heaven by means of their holiness and their piety. And Jesus says, guys, I'm sorry, that's not enough. But Jesus, we ate and drank with you. Jesus, you taught in our synagogues. Surely we're a part of the same family here. And Jesus says, it's not about the things that you do. It's about the person that you know. John chapter 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. A very familiar piece of passage there. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. No one else. You will not find salvation apart from Jesus Christ. For there's no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. So the first key truth that Jesus gives to us is there is entry into heaven. There is entry into heaven. It is exclusive, but it's so easy. And then uh, number two, heaven's door is devotion to Christ. The door to actually enter is to devoting ourselves to Jesus Christ. 
I talked with a man a few years ago who said that Jesus seemed like a really great guy. He seemed like a really good teacher, a moral person, but he really, he, he balked at the claims that Jesus was the son of God and that he died for his sins. And chances are you've probably met people that have the, the same affection towards Christ. He was just a good moral leader, but he was not the Messiah. He was not the son of God. And yet, Many of you have heard the claim from famed British writer C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He said this about Jesus, a man, who was, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a very great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on level with a man that says he, he's a poached egg or, or he'd be the, the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. So Jesus was either a madman, a liar, a myth, or he really was and is the son of God. He cannot be anything else. And some people believe that all the religions of the world are, are basically the exact same. But that's obviously not true. All religions are not created equal. All religions are not the same. Christians, Jews, and Muslims, they believe in a personal God who revealed himself to mankind. Buddhists and Hindus believe God is impersonal and unknowable. Both, how can God be both personal and also be unknowable? Religions aren't created the same. Both concepts can't be correct. But Christianity is also different from all other religions of the world in one really vital, key, important area. The idea that God reached out to man to save man because man was helpless to save himself. That's what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions. Every other religion in the world is based on man's effects to reach God. And all these religions teach that man must somehow do righteous deeds to perform religious service in order to become some type of, of good person, moral person, good enough to somehow make it into heaven on their own accord. In order to be saved, a, a person has to pray a certain, a certain amount of times a day. In order to be saved, a person has to go on a pilgrimage. In order to be saved, a person has to turn himself east or west or north or south. In order to be saved, they have to do something. They have to visit certain religious shrines or temple or he has to worship on a particular way or even on a particular day. Some worship, uh, some religions say you need to worship on Friday, some on Saturday, some on Sunday. Some say, oh no, just worship at your house or your worship's not good enough if it's not done in cooperation with others. Some religions require sacrifice. Some religions require require you to inflict pain on yourself. And there are even extreme religions that require people to beat themselves with whips and rods to show their devotion to God. Some uh, require pilgrims to crawl on their knees a certain distance in prayer in order to earn righteous points with God. Some religions uh, require you to, to go rake leaves for little old ladies in order for you to be saved. But in all this, 
The striving after righteousness is based on the religious activity of a person, a man or a woman. In every, in every other religious system besides Christianity, a spiritual scale hangs over the head of the person, weighing the good and the bad. And at the end of the day, you have to simply hope that you've been good enough, that you've earned enough merit and enough favor with whatever deity, with whatever God is out there, that you might inherit eternal life, but not with Jesus. But not with Jesus. Isn't it sad that there are literally millions of people that don't know whether they've been good enough or if they've prayed enough or if they've worked hard enough to earn all the righteous points that they need to counteract the sinfulness that comes out of their heart. Millions of people unassured of their salvation. The Apostle John knew and understood that not all religions were created equal. And that's why he said in John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life. He says, This is the path to heaven, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John says, Listen, there's a lot of gods, but there's only one real one. Only one real one. And again, he comes back in John chapter 10, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says these words, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and he will go in and, in and out and he will find pasture. Isn't that a great thing? Jesus even says, I'm the door. You're only going to get there through me. So let's talk about the third key truth. There's entry into heaven it is exclusive. Heaven's doors, devotion to Christ. Number three is this, destruction or delight. Choose your door. Choose your door. Make a decision. In verse 29, and people will come from the east and from the west, from the north and the south, and they'll recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who will first will be last there are two types of people. You have people that have made choices to depend on the grace of God, merited through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And then there are those who try to make it into heaven on their own accord with their own good works. And they've made choices. By the way, I, I, I believe in free will. I, I believe that mankind has the ability and that God has given man the free will to say yes or no. You see this constantly throughout the pages of Scripture. Even in the book of Joshua, Joshua says choose who you will serve. And of course, even in Jesus' ministry, Jesus gives choice to people. And you see people follow Jesus and you see people making the choice not to follow Christ. Even his own disciples, they abandon him. They choose, they chose not to stand with him. Even at the foot of the cross. I believe in choice. We have a choice to say yes or no. A pastor friend of mine one time said it, I thought, in a very simple way. He said, Stuart, you have to understand that in your life that God has got a vote for you. And it's a vote that was cast on the cross of Christ. It's a vote that was cast upon the resurrection of Jesus himself. At the same time, Satan also has a vote for you. After all, he's a roaring lion looking to seek in whom he could devour. He has a vote as well. He's cast his vote. He wants you as well. And he said, but Stuart, you're the deciding vote. It's your choice. You choose where you're going to go. You choose who you're going to follow. But pastor, what if that person never really hears about Christ? 
They never really believe in Christ, but they're just really good. Surely Jesus would not judge that person. Surely Jesus would not send that person to hell. Suppose Jesus was confronted with two opposite points of view on an issue from sincere individuals. I know it's hard to imagine. I know that all of us in this room are in one accord. We don't have opposite viewpoints, do we? I, I, I mean, surely we all agree on politics, yes? Of course we do. I mean, we're people of the book. So I'm sure all of us fall exactly the same on some of issues of religion and politics, football. Well, suppose Jesus was confronted with two opposite points of view on an issue from sincere individuals. Would he bless both? Would he bless both? Would he respect each point of view and go on his way as we are currently doing? Or would he restate what he has already stated and respectfully remind each individual that there is only one way, that there is only one truth? And after pointing out the correct position, it would then be up to the one in error to choose whether or not to follow Christ's way or to continue to go on his way. If he continues to go his separate way, would Jesus say, I respect that view. I respect you. Peace be with you. And he would let it go at that. Is that what Jesus would say? Or would he continually confront that individual until he was back in the fold? If Jesus accepted both positions, he would in effect be saying that, that, that either will do. And in that case, then every issue with two opposite positions would be equally acceptable. Brothers and sisters, I would say we know the truth. And I want to say right here and now that I believe that there are people filled with sincerity that are going to hell. They sincerely believe what they believe. And yet, because they sincerely believe what they believe does not mean that they will be granted access into heaven. When you read this piece of scripture, there are people who sincerely believed that they were part of the kingdom of God and yet they had no relationship with Jesus. They had no walk with Christ. They had no favor from Jesus himself. And so when they go to knock on the door of the kingdom of heaven, they sincerely believe that they're a part of it. But the master of the house says, I don't know, no, I don't know where you have come from. I do not know you. Go away from me, you evil, wicked person. And they're cast out into the darkness. Now, friends, does that not scare you just a little bit? Does that not, does that not conjure thoughts of where we stand with the Lord as well. Because when I read this scripture, I see church people in this. I see well-meaning people, well-intentioned people, of which I'm a part of. I had, when I read this scripture, I was gripped with fear. Lord, may it not be me. Lord, please let, it not, let me not be the one that's cast out. You have to take issue with your own salvation and question yourself. Examine yourself as Paul tells us to do. Just examine yourself to make sure daily that you're in the faith. Jesus tells us again 
In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And there are those, and there are those who enter it, and they are many. They are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But those who find it are but a few. That's scary stuff. The last point is heaven is exciting, but access is expiring. Heaven is exciting, but access is expiring. In verse 28, in that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, Jesus here is talking about hell. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Again, this is a feature, by the way, of hell. If you go back and read, I believe it's in Luke 15, you'll see the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus dies. He's immediately taken up into Abraham's bosom, heaven. And then the rich man dies and he's taken down into hell. And one of the worst parts of being in hell is that you're able to see what you've missed. It even says that, that the rich man yells for Lazarus. He yells for the saints. He yells for the prophets of old. Send someone to my family so that they will not experience what I'm experiencing here in hell, this place of desolation, of thirst, of pain, of torment. Send someone to my family so that they will know. And in here, we see the same thing. Jesus reiterates this, that apparently when you're shut out, you can still see what you've missed. What a terrible thing. What an awful existence. I was, uh, I love Charlie Brown. I use Charlie Brown as sermon illustrations quite a bit because I think Charlie Brown theology is something that I can actually understand. But there was a comic strip from Charlie Brown and the other day I saw it and he was sitting down with Snoopy and I think Snoopy's a lot like me, pretty simple. And they were sitting out there on that pier just thinking about life. And it hit Charlie Brown that one day he would die and it would all come to an end. It sounds like a very Charlie Brown thing to do, right? I'm going to die. It's all going to come to an end. And then Snoopy chimes in and reminds him that that was true, but all the other days were not. <laughs> on all the other days, you're not going to die and it's not going to come to an end. When I was in high school, Josh Rabin will love this. When I was in high school, DC Talk released, I believe, the greatest Christian album to ever be released. And I, you know the name of it. Jesus Freak. That's exactly right. Now, to some of you, you've not heard Jesus Freak, and you probably won't like it. But when you're a kid growing up in the 90s, okay, Jesus Freak was the jam. It was a great, great album. It was one of those kind of albums that you can pop in and hit play and just play it, you know? One of those kind of deals. There's a song on that album that always stuck out to me, and the song's title is called Time Is. Time Is. Time Is. And it was the band's effort to remind Christians that our time here on earth is limited. It's finite. It's passing. I wanted to read a selection of lyrics. And, and this is what this, this song says, time is. You've got a gift, and you best start using it. 
Because if you don't, you're going to wind up losing it. Just like the, the brother who buried it deep, the task was simple, but the price was steep. We got a mission while we're here on earth. We need to tell people about our second birth. Get busy like a schoolboy making an A because time, my brother, is ticking away. Time is ticking away. One day our lives are going to come to an end and we're going to give an account of how we spent our precious time here on earth. One day the option for sharing Christ is going to, to, to be gone. We won't be able to invest. We won't be able to help the kingdom of God grow. It'll be over. And friends, I'm here to tell you, remind you of the words of Scripture, remind you of the words of DC Talk, and time is on Jesus Freak. Don't waste your time. The people in this Scripture wasted time. They sought things out that did not matter. It was a precious gift. And Jesus, when that door is shut, it is shut. There is no coming back from it. There is no further access. Once you've been cast out, you're out. Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus is inviting people right now. He's shown us the door. He's given us the path. He's made it easy. Yes, it's exclusive, but it's like having a cheat code to your favorite video game. He's standing at the door. He's knocking and friends, this morning, you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, do I know him? Have I accepted him? Have I devoted my life to Christ? In Revelation chapter 3, again, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he will eat with me. Isn't that great? My favorite word in that scripture, by the way, is anyone. If anyone, if anyone hears me knocking and they open the door, do you see the choice that you have? Jesus is not going to kick the door down. Oh, but I wish he would. Man, I wish he would. No, Jesus says, no, there's, there's only a one door to your heart. And friend, that doorknob is on the inside, not on the outside. You have to choose to open it. Remember that our lives are like a vapor. We're here one minute and gone the next. In James chapter 4, 13 and 15, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go uh, into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a while and a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I'm 41 years old. And to some of you, to some of you, that is like a mere child. And yet to others of you, I am super old, like one foot in the grave old. But I will say this as I've gotten older. Boy, my days seem to be going by fast. My time here just seems to keep ticking I can remember when my parents turned 40 years old. And I remember as a, as a young teen, I was thinking, man, they're almost gone. 
I need to start planning funeral services. Friends, make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. Evaluate where you are with the Lord. Don't be the one that's left out, but be the one that's come from all over, reclining at the table of God because you've been granted access to the kingdom. There's only one way. What's his name? Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, in conclusion, help us to receive and share the invitation of Christ. Lord, help us to receive it. If we don't have it, help us to receive it. But for those, Lord, of us who have it, possess it, and know it, Lord, help us to share it with others. Lord, we want to thank you that we've been able to gather here today to worship you. Lord, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your salvation that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that you will use us. Put us out on that mission field so that others can hear the gospel. And Lord, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.